Okay, so welcome to this week's episode of the Piping People podcast, uh, the platform where we share insights from technology leaders across the globe. And uh, my name's Guy Bevington, I'm the MD of True North Recruitment Group. Um, and this week I'm honoured to be joined by James Yorston. Uh, James is the Head of Engineering for uh, Toshi. So James, thank you very much for uh, being here with us today. How are you on this uh, sunny, sunny Wednesday? Yeah, lovely. Thanks so much for having me on. Um, yeah, I'm great. I mean, you know, you can't be can't be too sad with the weather like this. We're just discussing saying not enough time to get out in it. But uh, <laughs> no, yeah. I'm I'm brilliant. Thank you. Good, good. Well, thanks for being here. Yeah, I um I I donned shorts for the first time this year. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> that was it. Yeah, it was uh, sort of blinding whiteness. Yeah. <laughs> <For my laughs> yeah, only then to be told about half an hour later by somebody in the team that uh, apparently it's supposed to snow next week. So uh, you know, oh, is it? Oh my god! Apparently, no. Uh, <laughs> take take it while we can get it. Um, but um, but no, lovely. Thank you very much for being here with us today, James. And um, I guess to frame the episode and and the chat we're going to have. So we, you and I got chatting quite recently, and I think it was pretty clear that we both um, saw pretty eye to eye on a number of. Um, aspects and topics relating to company culture and um i guess with what the world has been through over the last year um you know company culture i mean it's one of those things isn't it, it gets banded around a lot you know the culture of a company and you know it's oh, yeah. often i find it's something that a lot of, a lot of uh, leaders and companies do pay quite a lot of lip service to you know when they, they sort of talk Certainly. about culture. Um, but i do think the the events of the last 12 months of uh, really brought that into focus for a lot of companies and, and it really does make the question of I guess there's been a lot of transformation around culture you know just from physically yeah. you know, not all being located necessarily in the same space and um, you know what that's kind of meant for businesses and and it's really interesting to see I guess if you kind of um, extrapolate that out from from where we are now sort of what continual impact that's going to have on company culture as well so uh, sure. yeah it's a really sort of interesting uh, topic I guess for a lot of, lot of companies on how they're going to challenge that and um, I know from our chat that you've got a lot of really strong uh, you know views around how to build a oh, strong company, uh, <laughs> from uh, an engineering point of view so we thought you know let's get together let's, uh, let's chew the fat and uh, and I guess yeah put a few ideas out there so uh, yeah um, so first and foremost I, mean, I always like to start any any podcast by uh, just inviting you to if you'd like to just tell us a bit about yourself and yeah, your uh, you know your career bio to date and uh, yeah go from there Sure, yeah, cool. Okay, so um, I suppose the first thing to say is uh, educational um, background in, in computer science, although that's not actually where I started. I got sort of bitten by the startup bug really when I was really young. Um, I got into it uh, prior to going to university, actually. So I did a weird path where I worked at um, a couple of uh, startups actually before going to university, one of which went through an acquisition, which kind of set me on the path of, uh, of I really wanted to kind of do tech startups, really, and tech in general, to be honest with you. I didn't know much going in there. That's really, you know, where I, I learned a, a lot of stuff. Um, so that was 2013, 2014. So sort of in those, in that time, I ended up uh, going to university, studying computer science, fell in love with the subject. It was quite an academic um, startup that first one anyway uh, and uh, did my degree loved it at the same time um, was, was working with startups and again sort of helped them grow and really saw that 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 growth there sort of you know the seeing the the I suppose the rat race with it with investment raising and 
the challenges that go with that and you know really how uh, close engineering has to be to actually the business which which often gets a little bit diluted um so i ended up working all sorts of different markets there um i suppose previous uh couple of years has been uh, in finance an alternative lender called bamboo which was an was an exceptional uh engineering team they taught me an awful lot um whilst i was there they grew massively and have huge success at the moment then uh, I came out there to lead the engineering team at, at Toshi. Um, I joined them uh, just at their seed round, essentially. And they've been described, we've had a couple of articles done on us recently, they've been described as essentially Deliveroo for fashion. So they are essentially an upmarket uh, tech fashion logistics uh, company. Um, so we work with uh, businesses you know, like Chanel, Gucci, Alexander McQueen, all these big, you know, branded fashion uh, designers to essentially offer a, a kind of a, a concierge on-demand delivery um, for their end customers. So we're currently live in, in London and New York. Um, it's been, we've had crazy growth, which actually over COVID, as you can imagine, as people haven't been able to, imagine, to yeah, shop. So we've become super, super relevant. Uh, yeah, so running the team there, we're you know still quite a small business, about 30, 30 people in that company. But like I say, you know, growing, uh, growing really well. So yeah, that's kind of how I've ended up here. It's a bit of a strange route, but uh, yeah, cool. Uh, yeah, thanks for that. That's that's really interesting, and I like the fact that you've um, yeah, you clearly uh, found found your niche in the startup world, and, <laughs> and I'm sure we'll go on to kind of why that's uh, something that's yeah. resonated with you, um, you know, recently, but. But now, I guess for Toshi, I mean, that, it's, it's a great concept for a, a business model anyway. But I yeah. guess, like I say, during, during these times, it's become super relevant. And it's, it's incredible, really. The conversations I have with people is just to, you know, the last year, it's just been a total lottery for so many companies that how oh, their business sure. model has been affected, you know, both adversely and, and you know, uh, for, for the positive. And I'm, I'm glad, obviously, you're on that yeah. side of the coin, yes. uh, you know, and it's, it's working out well. So uh, that's cool. Um, all right, super. Well, um, I'm sure, yeah, in terms of somebody that can share a few ideas on what it takes to, um, you know, build a successful engineering culture, then your background, uh, you know, yeah. make you very, very qualified to, to do that. And uh, I guess I'd like to start by just asking you, you know, uh, a culture for me is one of those things, it's it's the most important thing in a company, uh, yeah. absolutely, because it, it, to be honest, it, it far outweighs performance. Um, yeah. And that sounds a bit counterintuitive because obviously every company has got to perform, but I think, you know, if you get the culture right, performance will, will come. And um, for you personally, why do you feel that the, the culture of a company is so important? And why is it something that really, uh, yeah, really resonates with you? Yeah, of course. I think um, totally agree with your points in that culture gets a lot of lip service. And, you know, it, it's, it's something that pretty much every company will talk about as either part of their recruitment process, part of their PR, part of their branding, whatever it may be. But it's, in my opinion, so rarely done well. Um, it's exactly, you know, just a PR stunt. I think for me, you know, particularly the early stage, which again, you know, is bulk of my bulk of my experience. It's it's the make or break of the business. I think it's the kind of the lifeblood of an early stage startup. Mm. I think you know, you're often. Uh, at that early stage, you're often cash strapped, right? It's the it's the it's the big problem you have in staff is balancing, you know, where you use your capital, you know, who do you get in, and, and all this kind of stuff. And 
essentially investing in hiring, particularly engineers who, you know, let's face it, are expensive, really, as, as staff members. Um, that investment, you know, needs, to, needs to, to, to go far. And essentially what you see you know, is that famous phrase, people don't leave jobs, they leave managers and all that kind of stuff, right? I, I kind of subscribe to that to a degree, but I kind of take it one step further in saying that I think people amongst my network as well, you talk about why, why people move on and that kind of stuff. It's often for cultural reasons, right? It's not the job role itself. Um, and as a startup, you really can't afford to have that, that, you know, that, that loss of people essentially at that early stage. It's so crucial that you retain that early team that you, that, you know, you invest in them, you grow them because it's, 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 it's how you grow um, as a business, right? And ultimately that's what your success comes from, right? You know, a business is nothing without the staff. So if the culture's wrong and people, you know, are not staying or, you know, they're, they're being um, sort of cornered with their ideas, not able to, to really, you know, be creative in that sense. It, it has a, a serious negative effect on on just company output and thus success. Um, I think you know companies that the most successful companies that you know I've have seen and, and been part of are ones where the whole unit is really focused on that mission, right? And that that does start at at, at a cultural level for me for sure. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> and I guess you know True North is a business. Uh, you know we're a relatively young entity as well, and founded yeah. in 2019, and, and everything you just said there, I totally uh, yeah, resonate with. In any kind of early stage business, getting the culture right, it's it's so key because um, yeah. you know you've got to you've got to bring everybody on that mission with you, haven't you? And yeah, uh, um, yeah it's something that. Uh, I guess, like you say, if you don't necessarily have all the other bells and whistles to offer, um, you know, the, the, pre the previous backstory, you to create a culture where people want to be a part of it. And I saw a really good quote actually the other day from uh, Simon Sinek. I'm huge, huge Simon Sinek. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And uh, he said that, you know, people are financially invested, they want to see a return. Uh, but if people are emotionally invested, they want to contribute. And that I think is, is like so true, um, you know, and, and recruitment, it's, it's really interesting because obviously everybody, every recruitment interview I've ever been to, you know, yeah. jobs always sold to you on, you can make this much money, you can do this. And, but, you know, really, I think that's such a thin culture to build a business on because, you know, once you've made the money or you, you know, you've, you've done whatever, it, the, the job very much loses its shine. And um, I think having a, a culture that is, uh, you know, a mission that's a big, bigger, Piece, you know, big and beyond the individual, um, I think is so key to get that right uh, really early on. Um, so, um, so yeah, I totally agree with what you uh, what you said there. Um, so, how do you how do you go about actually creating a great culture? I guess you know maybe we've talked about it from an engineering perspective, but also yeah, from a, a company uh, wide point of view. Um, how as a leader in in tech would you uh, go about implementing that? Yeah, sure, of course. No, I mean, so this is one of those questions that's really tough, right? And it's, I think, you know, there's, there's many ways you can slice and dice this, right? And uh, I think my opinion is always going to come from, from most of the early stage thing. But I think, uh, you know, there's, there's two questions there. There is, there's the engineering culture, and then there's, there's, there's company culture, right? Uh, you know, company culture for me is, is, is fundamentally trust. Um, for all employees, um, you know, and uh, that extends into tech. 
And I think particularly tech and something that I've seen a lot and actually, you know, um, Toshi has been a real eye opener for me in the sense that we've, we've worked, we work in a sector in sort of fashion, which traditionally has, has been on the poor end of this where, you know, companies are not seeing their tech and their engineering as, uh, as, a, as an asset. This is something that I think was really brought uh, to light with sort of the rise of the fintech challenger banks and things where you had, you know, older institutions that, you know, had sort of sat on their laurels a bit in terms of their tech and weren't investing in those areas so much as they were in other areas. And, you know, these young, hip, you know, tech companies came in where the engineering was kind of the thing from day one and it really it sort of blew them out of the water and made everybody panic, right? So I think to start at company level and say, what's a great engineering culture? It's to, it's to see that tech as an asset, right? And it's to say, look, you know, this is, these aren't just a guys, bunch of guys in, the, in, a, in a basement somewhere, you know, making a thing. They're actually, you know, they're, they're integral to the company, the success of the business. In startup world, that might be, you know, you know, a, a lot of companies chase the tech multipliers in terms of the, you know, the evaluations, that kind of stuff. And you can't get that uh, unless, you're seeing, unless you're seeing your engineering uh, and tech as that asset. Um, I think following off that is, is, is the appreciation of what then that means. So, okay, great. We see tech as an asset. Okay. We say that. So what does that mean? And I think there's a lot of misconception again from, uh, people who, who are not technologists about what the tech process looks like. So, uh, and for me, that starts with an appreciation for the R and D elements of tech. So uh, I say this all the time is that in in tech and tech startups you're often doing something for the first time right you might be using you know software libraries or you know you'd be using you know parts of code or whatever it might be that that has been solved but often the problem that you are solving in the space that you're in is 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 quite new and that makes it really hard right this is certainly something that 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 we've seen at toshi right is that no one's actually tried to do uh logistics it's sort of one demand style with returns it's more like a a warehouse flow right so we're, we're we're in a space where somebody's not really tried to solve this problem before so as a result an enormous amount of the work is r d and in businesses that aren't used to that that element of of, of arguably sort of lost time or lost work it can be super challenging and you, you can you can build frustrations right um you know we as engineers and as technologists know that it's not lost time and that you know if you spend a load of time going down a route to conclude that it's not the right answer, that's how great things are built, right? You know, pretty much never the first version is, is the version that you go with. Mm -hmm. So it, it, that's 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 crucial for me. Um, Absolutely, yeah. It's uh, it's interesting. I think your point there about how technology is viewed is is so key. Because, yeah. uh, like I said, I mean, technology whether we whether you, whether you're a technologist or not, if you're a leader of business and you're not embracing technology, I mean, ultimately. It is the driving force behind every industry now, isn't it? Irrespective yeah, of whatever sector sure. you're in. If you're a pure technology company, okay, cool. But even if you're not, it, yeah. technology is going to be or should be something that's evolving and um, yeah, really moving your business forward. And um, if you don't have that mentality or, or that mindset, and like you say, you don't necessarily understand what it takes to to build a genuinely you know yeah. best best in class software product. Uh, like you said, you know the mindset or the mantra of a lot of kind of uh, draconian old school you know, leaders where they're hiring a bunch of uh, you know, software engineers it's like you know, yes. the, the idea of a, an R&D afternoon or, or you know a day a week sort of working on your own things or whatever 
you know, it's, it's kind of lost on a lot of people. It's um, a hard sell, yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> why, aren't you, why aren't you building something? <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's that, absolutely, I think that's a really good point. Um, and um, I guess, yeah, going back to the, you know, the question of how do you create a good culture? I mean, it, obviously, it's, it's a very esoteric thing, isn't it, to talk about a great culture. Yeah, what, what actually yeah. is that? How do you define that? And I was thinking about that myself quite recently because it's something that, as I say, you know, with True North was the number one priority, you know, and uh, wow. I, I've certainly been, you know, in the past very unhappy as a result of work. And um, the, the, the big thing that I really wanted to build with this business, and it sounds really cheesy and really fluffy, but it's genuinely true, was, you know, we're on a mission to help people be happy at work. And, yeah, yeah as I say, it does sound quite uh, quite cheesy and fluffy, but it, it really does kind of permeate throughout every single person within the business. And it's something that we, you know, when I'm having conversations with people, it's, it's something I hire for, you know, that I've got to have people that genuinely care about people's happiness here, rather than somebody that's, uh, you know, just trying to place somebody into a role because it's going to make them, you know, an extra few grand commission. It's like, actually, is this genuinely the right thing for that person? And um, I think you've got that kind of, um, I think, I think it's a real element of understanding your service proposition and what your customer service is and being really bought into that. I think that, that is a big box to check as far as, you know, having a really good culture. Um, and I think also internally from a, from an employee perspective as well, it's about being sustainable, I think, you know, and having a, you know, a lot, a lot of the conversations I have with uh, tech leaders, you know, about their churn, um, you know, and, and they're losing um, good people regularly. And it's because they've got quite an unsustainable, um, culture you know where people there's, there's con consistent deadlines that people have got to hit you know going there and people obviously if they if they're bought into the bigger mission they don't mind contributing and obviously going above and beyond every now and again and pulling a few late nights and that kind of thing but it's it's that you know being requested to do it on a continual basis for all people you know and not respecting uh yeah, people will just burn out and um again i've seen that totally, time yeah. and time again within recruitment um you know it's just having a a culture where you know i mean i've been in environments before where you, you've got to be in the office at 7 30 in the morning and you're rarely out the office before 6 6 30 in the evening and um yeah right fair enough you might get your sort of pound of flesh from somebody in the short term but it just isn't sustainable it's not right. sustainable and you know, nobody can do that um nobody wants to do that on an ongoing basis uh, irrespective of how much they're prepared to work on and um, you know, it's that's something that's been really important to me to create a kind of sustainable culture because uh, I think that's really how you build something that's bigger than yourself. You know, it's actually about building something where people feel like they can actually stay and embed into the company for their career rather than just a another job. Um, so um, so yeah, but I think your point there about you know how technology is viewed absolutely uh, yeah, really really key. Um, and um yeah what what role do you see obviously with the pandemic and and how much transformation and change i guess yeah. every company culture has been forced to uh, to go through over the last 12 months um what role do you see uh coronavirus and the pandemic and how it's panned out what role do you see that in terms of shaping company culture uh, moving forward so yes yeah, it's, it's a great question i think i think we were the first point I'll say is that it, it's 100% more remote, uh, more pro-remote now uh, since COVID. I think that that is clear. If you look at any job advert, you know, uh, uh, now it's, it's seeming like, you know, remote flexibility is a given. We were quite lucky in tech anyway, I think, in that a lot of companies were sort of offering the, the one, one to two days a week 
remote, you know, quite regularly. Certainly, you know, I've been on that kind of schedule for, for a number of years now. Um, but sort of the opportunity to have fully remote and that kind of stuff is, is taken a real shift. I think companies were really hesitant to do that before unless they'd seen it work. Whereas now, because basically the whole world has seen it work and, you know, some people are saying that they're not convinced it does, but uh, in my view, now that we've seen it work, you know, they go, okay, actually, no, this isn't a big deal. And, you know, this can work. I think for me, uh, you know, I, I could talk a lot about this is that, uh, I think companies are going to embrace agile tools more or they've got to embrace agile tooling more. So, you know, they've got to invest in the right areas to make uh, remote working, you know, work for them. It doesn't come free, right? You have to, you have to tune your processes. You have to tune, you know, your engineering team, whatever it is to, to, to work with a remote. I know anecdotally uh, at Toshi in the early days, we struggled a little bit on missing out that kind of like huddling around the problem and how to replicate that digitally, um, which, which we did. We got around it. We just, you know, it was kind of a bit weird just direct dialing somebody or setting up a Zoom like every 10 seconds, but we got around it, right? It just took a little bit of time and we, and we invested that and we talked about it in our standups. Um, and I think lastly, I think it's <clears throat> companies hiring outside of their traditional geographic area. If you looked pre-COVID, it was like, you know, certainly London, again, bulk of my experience, there was a London bubble and a home counties bubble of, oh, we're going to hire engineers in this little area. And I know, I know we're sort of post-Brexit now, but there was definitely a period before that where, you know, looking to Europe, um, you know, and, and now I'm seeing more looking across the wider parts of the UK, right, where there is a lot of fantastic talent. And, you know, I think if you're not offering at least, you know, a large portion of remote flexibility, you are potentially missing out on, on great talent, you know, the countries, not everybody wants to live in central London, completely empathize with that. Mm. And you're missing out on a whole lot if you're not, if you're not offering that. So that's where I see it going. And I think personally, brilliant. Uh, you know, I think it's, it's, it's been, it's been that sort of, you know, moment where the world's kind of shifted its mentality. And I think it really needed it. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. Totally agree. And it's a shame it's sort of taking something like this to make yeah. it happen. But sometimes, you know, there's the, the drastic events that actually forced the change, isn't it? That, that uh, but no, I, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, we're, we're certainly seeing that as a trend, you know, with, yeah. uh, with companies now, you know, a lot more proactive forward thinking companies recognizing actually they do have access to a much wider talent pool, you know, either UK wide, uh, or even internationally, you know, yeah. with, uh, looking at certainly now with, um, you know, how they can make things work on a remote basis. And in fact, we've actually recently helped, uh, a great candidate um, who lives on the south coast down in, in Devon and you know, okay, uh, place uh, place them into a, um, a central London-based company. Uh, they were working from home in Devon and, you know, they're working for a Devon-based company and, you know, they're now um, joining a company in London, really exciting opportunity, but, you know, still working fully remotely. And, uh, you know, yeah. the, the company has found a fantastic candidate that normally they wouldn't have had access to. So, yeah, it's um, it's uh, it's great to have those kind of examples, and and that's a real positive, I guess. That I think has kind of been born off the back of you know, not, not a particularly pleasant twelve months. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, why do you feel then that you know up until now, yeah, some companies haven't embraced flexibility and remote working in their in their culture? What what do you kind of put that down to? Yeah, sure. So it's again something I've I've experienced personally, right? And you know. I, I, early parts of my career and you know we're talking now eight years ago 
it was a lot less prevalent. I remember being like, oh, you know, can I work from home because I've got X thing where now almost a given, but back then it was like, oh, you know, can you just take the day as holiday? Uh, not, not uncommon. I think, I think, honestly, for me, it does come from a lack of trust. I think if you've seen it work, um, you know that it works. And again, anecdotally at Toshi and at other businesses I've been part of, we've seen over the pandemic, no drop in productivity at all. We, 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 as a group, we sort of see how much we deliver in story points. If anything, that's increased, to be honest with you. So, you know, from that metric, which I know doesn't tell the full picture, we've seen absolutely nothing. And I'm, I'm convinced it doesn't have uh, uh, an effect in terms of raw output. Um, but if you've not seen that and you're not sort of data driven in that way, you know, I think people, you know, some individuals still have this mindset of, well, you know, people are going to be sat watching with the telly on all the rest of it, which is just so wrong. And I think as well, a lot of companies and probably the bigger ones um, who aren't able to move as quickly haven't invested in the right tooling. I think, you know, I said this earlier and that remote doesn't come for free, right? You can't just take what you're doing in the office, just have Zoom and expect everything to just fall into place. You've got to invest in the right tools and that's maybe, you know, looking at the way you're doing project management. Is it the way that you were structuring your, your, your meeting cadence? You know, all of those aspects you've got to, you've got to look at, say, okay, we've now got a distributed team and we were solving things like this. Uh, that's now not working. And it's very, very easy, I think, to, to do nothing and then, you know, maybe in the early days, notice a, a, a difference in culture or a drop in productivity and then say, oh, well, you know, remote's the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that's true at all. And I think, you know, it, it's, it, it's, you've got to invest to, to make it work for sure. Um, yeah, yeah. Totally, totally agree on that front. And I think I, I agree with you. I think it is down to a lack of inherent trust yeah. in your employees. You know, essentially, yeah. as, a, as a leader of a business, if you're not happy somebody to be working from home, yeah. you're basically saying one or two things. I don't believe you're going to be working from home or you're going to be stealing data or, you know, you're going to be doing something. And it's, if you think about it, it's like, how can you, how can you genuinely build, you know, a great, great cultures are, are cultures where people go above and beyond contribute. You know, they want to contribute to the business, not because they have to. And I'm a big believer in these kind of, you know, push or pull cultures. You have, you know, push cultures where people are constantly being berated and kind of carrot and stick of, you have to do this and being directed in a certain direction or you get in my opinion much healthier cultures where they're pull cultures where people are being pulled towards a, a, a greater vision and they're giving a lot more autonomy and, and flexibility to you know be creative about how they can help the business move towards that uh, vision um, and you know it's those companies ironically that uh, I think it, in many ways you know these companies that have, have been very pro remote prior to the pandemic. You know, obviously they've, they've weathered the storm a lot better. They've had less transformation to go through, and less of a culture shift, quite frankly, to to happen. Uh, the irony is, a lot of these companies that probably haven't had, um, you know, any form of remote working or any sort of flexibility around culture, they probably have seen a drop in productivity. Quite frankly, because their employees have never been used to it, you know, they haven't. Yeah, exactly, yeah. They haven't. They've never had that freedom, and so quite understandably, probably a lot of people to start off with probably did, you know, slack off and think, "Oh, this is great. I don't have to go into the office, you know, uh, five days a week." Um, but at some point, you know, if you're genuinely bought into the mission and the vision of the business, you will want to contribute. You know, you won't just want to sit there 
and uh, you know watch uh, Homes Under the Hammer all day, you know, you'll actually want to, <laughs> to get on and contribute to the business. And I think it's those it's, it's businesses that are built on that you know fundamental level of trust where leaders of the business trust people to deliver um you know and trust them to contribute and if and if they don't you know again they don't get berated or they don't get beaten with a stick but you know you keep putting them towards the bigger vision i think it's those businesses that are gonna you know continue to thrive in this this kind of uh, this kind of world and and it's interesting the conversations i've had with a lot of candidates i guess yeah i i can sort of measure the you know the appetite towards remote working over the course of the year because you know yeah. at the beginning of the the pandemic you know everyone was like oh it's fantastic you know or if people were geared up to work from home and they didn't have kids yeah. you know, charging around most people were saying it's fantastic you know i get to sleep more it's great working from home and i've kind of seen the the balance shift slightly as time has gone on towards people you know uh wanting to even up the balance so the irony is actually a lot of, a lot of these companies that weren't giving people flexibility before you know a lot, a lot of uh, employees now are, are, are craving that interaction with with you know colleagues and you know some some form of, of balance but i think the key word is balance you know that people yeah, sure. people don't necessarily really always want one or the other they want the freedom they want the flexibility they want the balance to to have some great interaction with you know their colleagues but also have uh, flexibility to to work from home you know when they when they need to um so i guess in, from your understanding of that James, yeah. what, what's what's the what do you feel are kind of the biggest pros and, and the cons of remote working versus you know office being in the office working yeah i think i mean sort of touching on your point you know varieties of spice of life they'll say it's totally true i think you know we so if I, if I think about the biggest pro and, and it's crazy to think about is that, you know, I've spent a huge portion of my career commuting, right? Like hour commute, whatever it may be, right? You know, twice a day. You think of that dead time now, essentially, you know, there's, I know people say, you know, you can do stuff, but trust me, you've got an hour commute on the, tree, on the tube, rush hour. There's not that much you can do other than maybe listen to something. There's no chance of work, really. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, that's for me, getting rid of that has been the biggest pro. So that's, that's anecdotally, you know, for me, that's resulted in maybe I'm just logging on a bit earlier. So as a, for, for the company's benefit, you know, I've gone, oh, well, you know, I'm up now. I'm in my natural rhythm. So, you know, um, I'm logging on a bit earlier. Not every time, but, but, but that's there. But I think, honestly, more, more room for life. So, you know, more sleep less commuting, less stress in that sense. I think in Toshi, we've seen um, that a huge number of employees have actually, it, it, although you know, the pandemic has stopped so many things, a huge number of employees, you know, we're quite a young company, so most people are sort of late 20s, early 30s, that kind of that kind of age range. People made some big sort of life, um, you know, movements in their life. They've, they've bought property, they've, you know, uh, got married, bought, you know, th things that were, arguably a bit strapped as a result of having to be located within you know such a close proximity to uh, the office right everybody was living centrally in london super expensive we've seen people move out you know to sort of home counties area uh, myself included um where you know you can have those aspects of life that you sacrifice for kind of a bit of the london rat race so that's the biggest pro for me is that you know you've just got more time and i think that benefits the company it also just benefits the overall sort of mental health of people and having that freedom to do you know really 
really what they want to do. If they want to stay in London, fantastic. If you want to go out and buy a house or do whatever it is, move on with your life, that's brilliant as well. Yeah. Um, so the flip side, sort of the cons, I think we, we've all agreed this in our tech team as well, is that there's, there's definitely a, a slight negative effect in the sort of the after hours work culture. Because you're sort of sat in front of a computer all day, um, when we, we pre, pre-pandemic, we were four days in, uh, one day from home. Um, that just sort of seemed to work for us, but people, people needed more time than we we're happy to give it. And we were quite regular pub goers in the evening, right? Because after spending all day in front of the computer in the office, you know, you'd go to the pub and that was sort of a, you know, that was a nice release. Whereas, you know, trying to mimic those socials digitally, just it's not quite the same because you've been in front of a computer all day sitting in front on another zoom call to have a beer although appreciate you know people appreciate it it's not the same as actually going to the pub so that 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 you know that aspect of the sort of the after works culture took a huge hit and i think as well you know it is difficult to simulate that kind of riffing of ideas in person and you know the old whiteboard session you know you can get close to it but you know my opinion is it, it does suffer a bit it doesn't outweigh, in my view, the huge the, the pros, but there are some negatives, right? And that's 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 what we've seen. And I think you know businesses also have to work, as I said this earlier, they have to work to stop siloing of, of individuals within a team and also departments, right? You know, it's super easy for departments to just have their their meetings uh, and be kept away from everybody else. You're not in the same co-located space, so. You know, people aren't sort of overhearing that conversation that all oh, marketing are having, all the sales are having. Go, oh, hold on a minute. You know, that doesn't happen organically anymore. So mm-hmm. you have to work to solve that, right? Um, yeah. So it's a real balance, real balance. But you know, yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I, re- I really, really agree with both those. Those, uh, like I said, the, the word is balance, isn't it? I think. Yeah. And still on the thread of a couple of things you said there. I mean, yeah, you're right. I think people have got more of a life in a way ironically even though lockdown yeah. you know it's a bit more breathing space and um you know obviously it hasn't been an easy 12 months for for lots of reasons but uh just personally speaking mentally mental health wise you know where i am today versus you know where i, I know i've been in the past it's night and day you know just i'm yeah. substantially happier than than i used to be and uh you know and, and getting back to my point about sustainability earlier i guess i mean i i I've, I've had the conversation with every single employee in the business that you know if your mental health or your physical health ever suffers as a result of this job sure. it always brings my attention immediately you know yeah. it, that should never be the case and uh, you know I've, I've, I've been I've you know developed gastritis as a result mm-hmm. of stress in the past I've uh, you know suffered panic attacks as a result of, of stress and I just would never want that for anybody um, else, and uh, I think yeah, this whole situation has just given people a bit of a step back to, you know, realise that there is a bit of space between, you know, you and your job, and you know, it's called, it's called life, and uh, you know, being able to enjoy it, and you know, is is uh, is is massive paramount. Yeah, I think it's so important, but. But getting back to your other point of, um, you know, I think this year has definitely really highlighted to me that we are biologically engineered to to have some form of contact, aren't we? Like definitely, physical definitely, contact definitely, with somebody. Yeah. Fantastic as tools like Zoom are, 
you know, and obviously it's enabled us to get together and do chats like awesome. today. Awesome. It's, it's never going to fully replace the, the you know, we're animals at the end of the day, aren't we? And you know, yeah. being in close proximity to other people, you know, it, it, you can never fully replace that quality of interaction. And uh, like you said, from a, a creativity standpoint, just having everybody sat in the same room, you can't recreate that magic over Zoom. Um, right. of, of the sort of creativity and innovation element of things. So, so I really do hope the one positive thing that we get off the back of this is, you know, there is that that balance where everybody is actually aware and engaged and bought into that I want to be in the same office as other people for a few days. Yeah. Um, yeah. When they're there, they make it, you know, uh, very efficient, and you know everybody's there for the right reasons. Everyone's engaged, and you make those sessions as productive as possible. Um, but like you said, when you're then at home i think the flip side of that your point about you know how one team doesn't overhear another team and that kind of thing and of course there's a lot of sort of organic um you know innovation that happens that way yeah. there's yeah. also a lot of distraction that happens that way as well sure. i mean i've, I've oh, been yeah. on a big open sales floor before where you know you're, you're just trying to get on with your work but there's somebody talking and then invariably you listen to that person and then listen to that person and it, it's not always actually you know more productive having everybody sat in an office because there's just you know infinitely more things to distract you and so so yeah i totally agree it is that kind of balancing act i think that um hopefully with, with all, all companies can get to and that's exactly what we're going to do you know moving forward we'll, we'll have an office in london if people want to go into the office and work out the office they can do if people want to work from home they can do it's totally their choice um but i would say you know a couple of days a week it'd be nice if we could get together and like I said, just go for a few beers after work and, you know, um, just, just spend a bit of time with each other. And, you know, it's, yeah. it's really important as well. I, so, I, um, I, think, I think that's the best balance. I think, yeah, anecdotally, everybody in, in my team at the moment has sort of, we sort of polled and said, what do you want to do? You know, do, do you want to be completely remote? Do you want to, you know, how, how should we hire? Um, and we have hired some employees that are now going to be permanently remote. But, you know, overwhelmingly, um, the answer was, yeah, we want to flex. And I think that's exactly to your point. We are biologically wired to want to want contact. And I think I'm definitely, you know, in that camp. And, um, and yeah, and I think that meeting cadence as well, going back in the office, I do think companies will be more uh, sensitive to wanting to make that time hyper-effective, right? And there's appreciation. That actually, your work from home days, maybe they're your concentration days, they're your head-down days, you know, and you move those those in-person days to be your your kind of your whiteboarding sessions your your ideation sessions really you know there is that kind of alone time you know without distraction lends itself to more focused work and that that grouping of people lends itself to more of that yeah that kind of yeah totally. innovative style so yeah. yeah absolutely and let's you know let's also look at i guess on the other side of the coin of you, you can't speak in absolutes because i've had conversations with other people where they've you know, they're just they're just not geared up to work from home at all. No. They've got constant distraction with you know kids charging around or whatever. Or if, if you're, you know, I, I don't even know how you would during during the lockdowns. You know, if you're in a flat with kids charging yeah. around yeah. and they've got no garden to go out into, and you know, I just I literally don't know how people in that situation <laughs> could could work. Um, so you know, it's, it's very easy when you've got an office and a space to concentrate in. You know, obviously, we can always look at it through racing to glasses, but I think it's the point of companies need to give people the choice. And you know, sure. if, if people prefer to be, if you can provide a space for them to be, like I say, their concentration days could be in the office if they want to. You can provide a space for them to come into the office and and crack on and do their job in the office if that's what they prefer to do. Then brilliant, mm -hmm. let them do that. But if uh, 
if they don't and actually they know for a fact they're more productive working from home and like say they don't have to get up as early and they don't have the commute to worry about and that kind of thing and they're just in a better a better mood and they're more productive yeah. um that surely has to be you know uh, a win as well so uh but yeah it's really really interesting stuff but um i guess just pulling it back to you know building on your expertise of, of leading technology teams and yeah. uh you know sort of pulling on that thread a bit more about traits and and i guess um uh strategies that you've employed to help engage and motivate engineering teams i guess engineering teams to a degree have always been probably the first teams where uh there's been an element of freedom and flexibility to work remotely and so it's probably not been as much of a huge sort of culture shift but outside of the pandemic i mean how how do you personally go about um engaging and motivating um engineers as part of your your team is there anything you can share around that yeah of course yeah so i think um the, the start with the basics so i think you know engineers generally have a love of tech <laughs> so for me that's like you know start with start with some stuff don't skimp on equipment you know offer people flexibility in that unless you've got you know a, a domain specific reason of why you can't offer you know x laptop over y laptop let people choose the best tools you know for their job ultimately i do see software engineers as sort of you know craftsmen and, and creatives in that sense where you know they've got their preferences on their tools right so start with that and i think you immediately you're gonna you're gonna get a level of okay you know the company kind of gets what this job is about right um and i think outside of that there's it's 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 understanding that everybody within a team is an individual and an individual is motivated, motivated by different things, right? One path or one approach doesn't work for everyone. So, you know, is that to do with money? Is it to do with title? Is it to do with, you know, shares in the company? Everybody's different. And often, you know, my approach to um, hiring and, you know, keeping the team growing is sort of always discussing those things like right? you'll find individuals who are more entrepreneurial and are open to taking you know a risk and saying okay well you know i'll take less salary more shares or that kind of stuff and it's just having that approach that that everybody is different in that sense and and keeping them focused in the team um more on the like the structure of the team itself is i'm very conscious of teams that I've been a part of earlier in my career where I felt I had no say in anything. I was just, okay, tickets come in, I work on them, you know, tickets go out and I'm, you know, I'm blind to the rest of the process there. I've personally taken the approach to try and run things quite democratically, right? Although I might be, you know, as you know, my role in Toshi, head of engineering, right, where I'm that voice uh, in a lot of cases, the actual decisions on processes I might start the conversations, but ultimately we discuss them as a group, right? And everybody gets a share of their voice. And that's that's about all things. That's about, you know, meeting cadence, processes for the wider business. If you can engage, you know, everybody in your team uh, to at least offer their opinion, even if ultimately as a group you say, well, thanks, you know, person for, for sharing your opinion, but we've concluded this. You know, they've at least felt they've been able to share their voice rather than just sort of immediately be put down. We extend that to things like hiring as well. Um, you know, we try and get as much of the engineering team involved in hiring, even if that person is junior to the person that is being hired, because I think it's important to to know who's being brought into the team. Of course, as a company grows, that's not always feasible, right? But you know, at least people appreciate uh, 
that kind of effort. Mm. And I think lastly for me, on part of the culture and is is the retention, it's the progression. I think um, a lot of people, you know, I'm sure you can share insights on this, is that a lot for me, a lot of companies, a lot of more business folks, people see engineers as not very commercially minded, not not career builders, they just want to, you know, hack away at code and build things, right? In my experience, that's really not true. And, and although some people might be motivated in different ways, and I know it's part of my team, there's, there's guys that want to be more, you know, real, uh, you know, experts in their technical field or part of a language, whatever. And there's guys who want to do more business-focused stuff. I think offering that progression, again, you know, really taking an individual approach to people within teams and within your engineer, your wider engineering team, pays dividends and you can sort of tailor progression plans and you know again talking about money and shares what things interest what people is a blanket approach is never going to work because as people we are all subtly different right um yeah those are the things that have you know really helped yeah. grow uh, toshi and keep us all a unit with, with the same guys no you know no one's left so um, yeah, it's, it's really kept us strong I can see how absolutely, yeah, and again, you know, just think you and I very much see eye to eye on a lot of stuff anyway, but I, I totally agree with the whole uh, you know, democratic element of, of, of going about things. It's like you said, I mean, even even if you don't necessarily, you can't always please everybody, but just getting everybody's voice heard is, yeah. is key. And, and just, you know, psychologically, people will feel better about the outcome if they feel like at least they've had their opinion taken on board, um, you know, rather than just, I think it's quite an element of arrogance from leaders really, where they just think, well, this is the way we do it, this is the way we've always done it, and this is where we're going to continue to do it, and it's a bit like, well, why are you employing people then if you, you know, you don't want to hear their opinions? I know, yeah. Yeah, otherwise you might have employed robots and, uh, (laughs) you know, but uh, yeah, um, it is very true, but um, I think your point there about the, you know, retention, is absolutely key because you know certainly when I have conversations with people, the the most important thing really when I'm speaking to somebody is understanding why are they looking to move on from the the career that they're, they're in, and and you know, a lot of companies still uh, look at it relatively naively. I think where they think well, you know, somebody's just going to move for more money, and you yeah. know, you, you you mentioned the uh, the age old adage earlier of you know people don't leave their uh, you know job, they leave their manager. I think that is definitely true to the degree that people leave very rarely for money it, it's yeah. usually i mean of course everybody likes to receive a bit more when they're moving from another job course, but yeah. very rarely the primary motivator if people are genuinely engaged and they feel like they're progressing and they feel like they're they're growing i guess it's, it, that's that's the, the biggest reason that um, a lot of people we speak to end up moving on is they feel like they're, they're stagnating and i think your your point there about how often developers can be seen as not necessarily career focused or you know i think that what I really respect about software engineers is they they don't a lot a lot and again I don't want to speak in gen, sweeping generalizations here but like it's a trend I do notice that they don't often put the title above the work you know they sure. it's actually about the work they're doing is what they really enjoy so you can yeah. offer somebody you know a fantastic title of tech lead or whatever it is but sure. ultimately if they know the job they're going to be doing as a result of that isn't something they want to be doing, then very often they, they're not interested in the promotion, you know, because actually yeah. someone that's particularly interested in staying hands-on, that's all they want to do, then guess what? That's what, what they're going to do. But it, even those people, they, they still want to be progressing. They want to be growing. They want to be challenged. Um, it's just challenged in a different way. It's not sort of looking at it in the black and white. Well, 
this is career progression, you know, rising up the ranks and going through these different titles. There's obviously lots of different ways for people to to grow and, and progress. So um, yeah, the fact that you clearly understand that, I think, and, and realise obviously everybody is motivated uh, in a very different way, I'm sure is a huge yeah, building block to creating a, a really strong um, culture. Um, and when it comes to, you mentioned hiring a few times, and again, I think yeah. it's a great, a great strategy for uh, allowing everybody in the team to meet everybody as well and, and getting input because you know ultimately everybody has to work alongside these individuals so I think that's a really smart way of hiring um, but um, when you hire somebody's coming to the team I mean what, what sort of characteristics and traits do you look for when you're uh, you're potentially considering onboarding a new uh, a new person to the team? Yeah sure so I think the, the biggest challenge in startups for me actually is is not so much often the product it's it's the hiring because it's such an investment if it if it goes wrong you know and people go you know it can it can really mess things up for you right so hiring is so crucial uh you know it's particularly in those early stages so you know i spent a lot of time thinking about what you know really what is it that you're looking for and uh, you know what is that what does that right person mean and what is the job you know so on and so on and i think the first thing to think about for me is, you know, what what is the individual that you're looking for in terms of their their personality? That's the first way that I look at it, right? Is it's not so much the job because smart people will um, smart people will be able to tackle a lot of different problems, right? And it's it's understanding that you can tailor a job to a person and they'll they'll work around it, right? You know. If I was qualified for every job that I ever took, I would never have a job. Basically, you know, you have to step into something. You have to understand that that not everybody's going to have every element you want on paper, right? And it's the individuals. So that's that's the first thing I, I kind of always think about when I'm looking at people and things like that. In terms of personality traits, the, the key one for me is: is this person a nice person? Have they got empathy? Right. Ultimately, you know. Even if you're a larger company and you organize it to squads of like, say, five to 10, you know, that unit of five or 10 are interacting with each other like 40 hours a week, right? If you've got kind of a, a guy who maybe is a technical wizard, but, you know, on the cultural side is a bit, you know, um, obstructive or a bit, you know, okay, that's hugely negative, right? It's not just about output, it's about how, where do they fit in amongst your team. So the first thing I'm looking at when I'm talking to people is just, can I have a nice conversation with them? You know, do we get on? You know, that's an enormous part of the process. I think second for me, and this is specific to startups, right? In that a wider company is going to look for someone with more specific domain technical acumen. But for me, I'm looking at an understanding of trade-offs in engineering. So it's super common at, at sort of your C to Series A stage that you're going to have an enormous roadmap. You're not going to know which is the necessarily the best path to take. They're all kind of bets in that sense an understanding of those trade-offs you know is a trade-off of you know investing the absolute pinnacle of code quality down a specific feature knowing that it's really a prototype or you know uh you know an early investment in that area to see if that works you know understanding that process is key right and a lot of engineers are guilty of this in that you know understandably we want to make the best most robust most technically advanced system possible and that, that lends itself to certain scenarios brilliantly, but it doesn't lend itself to other scenarios. And knowing when to make those calls in, you know, 
I often like to, talk, to, to coin the term like your nuclear power plant code, like your code that cannot fail for any reason, right? And then there's your kind of your experimental stuff on the side, your, your stuff that you're not quite sure it's unproven in your product. So knowing when to apply those principles at those levels is important. Um, I think the other thing that I look for is generally the best people that I've worked with and that I've worked underneath and I've worked with as part of my teams have been very fast learners. And that's, that's difficult to test for. I tend to, what I'm looking for on CVs and markers for this are people, for me, who you know, experiment with things on the side, maybe they're polyglots. You know, there's huge value in being an expert in one specific area, sure, but people talk about that concept of being T-shaped, you know, know a lot, know a little bit about a lot of things and a lot about one thing. I think that that's, that's really valuable. So I'm looking for things like, okay, what are they doing on the side, you know, when have they been in scenarios where they haven't know what's going on and they've had to just crack on? That's invaluable in startup land because that's a huge portion of the work. Yeah. Um, uh, lastly, I think at an engineering level, it's it's what it is to make good software, right? You, uh, you're, you're, you know, what does a good code base look like? What does it? What does a good effective team look like? Being able to explain those things, and even if the teams they've been in are not like that, recognizing you know, what is poor about their current process, you know, where, what, if they were running the show, what would they do? You know, those are the kind of questions that I ask to just see, you know, does this person really get what it is to make, to, to be part of a great team? And uh, a huge number of engineers just aren't given the opportunity to make those kind of decisions, but they know that they should be made. And that's actually the important thing for me is, is, is that kind of understanding. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I think you've made some such great points there. And I love the way you're propositioning the personality and soft skills alongside the actual hard, hard coding skills as well. Because, you know, it is, I think certainly in the software engineering world, you know, clearly there's a lot of very bright, um, very switched on, very kind yeah. of mathematical, computational thinking professionals out there. Yeah. <clears throat> um, but often, you, you, you know, you're working in a team, you just, you've got to take on board personality and, and the ability to actually get on with other people and you know, be able to communicate and, sure, you yeah. know, um, and just, like I say, be a nice person. And so it's the same, the same thing with recruitment. I mean, I, I look back on, you know, some of the things that I've been told to interview for in the past and, uh, you know, in terms of traits that I'm supposed to be looking out for people. And I just think, you know, recruitment... It's, it, apparently it's this sales industry where you know you've got to hire sales people because they've got to be able to sell but nobody enjoys buying from a salesperson i mean, no, sure. I mean uh, we, we all know what it's like you know you spot a salesperson a million miles away and nobody enjoys that no, uh, experience and <laughs> you know for me it, it is genuinely when i interview people it's you know do i do i get on with them obviously because we've got to get on we've got to work together really closely but do they actually care about other people and you know if if they do um people will sense that you know people will sense that when they're they're being spoken to about their career they'll open up to somebody that they, they'll confide in because they can tell the person they're speaking to not is necessarily trying to jam the nearest job they've got down their throat but it's actually that they care about that person and yeah. uh you know it's a pretty simple concept but to me it's, it's pretty powerful um and uh I think you've just got to be, you know, if you've got to actually genuinely look at the personality, I think above and beyond a lot of other things. And clearly you've got to have capability and the aptitude as well. But I think your point about problem solving is 
something that probably not necessarily just relates to software engineering, but you know, really all walks of life, isn't it? It's like I said, people that have been around lots of different problems and I guess use their own volition to solve that problem. So whether in a scenario in the future where it's unknown, they've not been this uncharted territory, you know, they've got that confidence where, hang on a minute, I've been here before, you know, and, and they've got that sort of mindset, I guess, where they're, they're very sort of tenacious to find the solution to a problem. Um, I totally agree with that as well. I think that's something that certainly relates very closely to, to recruitment and sort of ties those, those two things together. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's a very interesting. Uh, I, think, I think on that point as well is that you see the classic, and I'm sure, you know, many engineers can relate to this, the classic of, um, oh, well, we only want, we're only going to look at someone with X number of years in this programming language. That's super classic. And, you know, I often answer that question with, well, how many times, you know, you ask an engineer, how many times in their career are they fighting against the actual syntax of the language versus, uh, versus you know, wrangling with the problem at large, right? And the answer is rarely. Rarely are you fighting with a specific element of a language. It's, it's, it's solving the business problem. And that's the tool that you use for that is kind of, you know, almost irrelevant at that point. It's being able to solve the problem, choosing the right tool and, and that kind of stuff, right, is, is actually the biggest skill there, which is, which is the aspect that I'm personally looking for when I'm, when I'm, when I'm interviewing people. Absolutely, yeah. Right tool for the right job, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, well, great. Well, I guess in closing, I mean, the last question I had for you really was just to get a you know flavour for your outlook on the, the tech world in general, and you know, sort of what you're most excited about, I guess, in the world of tech moving forward, and uh, you know, kind of trends, etc., that you see as uh, exciting areas. But um, yeah, yeah, what what are you uh, what are you excited about? What are you looking forward to most in the world of tech? Yeah, so I think um, it's not a field that I've worked in. Um you know, particularly deeply, but, you know, I was thankfully exposed to it at university and, you know, we've, we've, been, we've been playing around with things in some of the bits that been, been, been a part of. But the AI and ML space for me continues to just advance at such a rate and the adoption of it in sort of consumer products, at even a basic level, I think, is going to be immensely powerful. We're seeing that more and more as each year goes on, right? I think you know, there's lots of futurists and all the rest of it. You know, people say, oh, well, AI, AI and ML is the most important, you know, invention since the combustion engine, right? You know, I kind of, I resonate with that. I think the, the things that you can do in this space in terms of its application, you know, we've seen, you know, a, a revolution in, you know, sort of electric cars, you know, automated driving, you know, in the medical space, in, you know, um, think how many companies have span up with you know ai as uh, you know underneath them as sort of their kind of ip right i think you know exactly every angle that we're going to go in I, I don't know but the advancement in each of those fields even if a small part i think just push everything along right and it's so applicable to so many problems unlike some you know for me some like other trends like uh, you know crypto and this kind of blockchain and this kind of stuff right which is fantastic, but in my view, has a more focused usage. For me, uh, applications of AI and machine learning can be used in in pretty much any product, really. Uh, you know, and um, and I know there's a lot of people saying you know things like, well, you know, we have to be careful. And you know, again, I I, I can agree with that. I think 
alongside all these advancements, it's advanced at such a rate that we have seen, you know, the negative effects of these advancements, right? There's been a lot of press about all sorts of things to do with, uh, you know, if that's, if that's algorithms making a decision about something, if that's platforms being used to invasion of privacy, you know, things like that, right? And, you know, I think that's, that's a consideration, but with uh, the power of these tools, I think, you know, wrangling them and, and using them in the right scenarios to generally just make more effective products. People generally are not going to be opposed to that, right? Mm. Um, yeah. So that's that for me. That just continues to astound and you know uh, uh, gather a lot of interest for me is, is this space. I think it's it's absolutely fascinating. I'm always reading stuff and saying, okay, you know, how can we how can we uh, put this in? I think at Toshi, anecdotally, we have a um, we have a feature where we can bring uh, uh, similar items to customers who order like a, like a t-shirt, right? We can say, we're going to bring you similar things that other people like, right? And that's more in the realm of recommendation, but that's a subtle thing that at the moment is kind of human driven. And sometimes it's really off and sometimes it's on the mark, right? So how do we capture that and, you know, ultimately give the consumer, you know, just a better experience, right? It's no cost to them that we're bringing those things. And that's just, that's just an added bonus. That's a really simple, use case for this this kind of technology but one that just makes the product better and i think applying that to all sorts of things we're going to see more and more and more um yeah yeah totally totally concur with that i mean true north as a business when we when, when i founded the business really kind of evaluated the whole of the technology landscape and thought okay well where's a a place that i'm actually going to be really interested to recruit yeah. and b you know, where's the kind of future technology in the next 10 20 years and and we landed wholeheartedly in data science, AI, machine yes. learning, and yes. um, obviously software engineering, kind of building up on my previous background. But yeah. but yeah, I just, just totally agree with you. I mean, I think in essence, if you think about a business and what it what it actually is, you know, business exists to solve a problem you know, for somebody. And for the first time now, we've, you know, I say for the first time, obviously it's been around for a while, but one of the things we're seeing more and more in the market is actually the ability now to solve problems for people on, on a pretty automated and, and proactive basis and and really yeah okay yeah of course there's always going to be concerns around you know like say ter terminators running around in 20 years and, you know, <laughs> yeah. but for here and now there's the, the whole it. ethical and privacy um concerns which are totally valid i absolutely understand that and you know algorithms based around bias and things like that i mean clearly there has to be accountability for it but fundamentally when you when you look at it and it's um you know the, the black and white situation like i said it's about delivering a better customer service and then whenever whenever a tool can do that um and and solve the problem in a more uh, elegant and efficient way which is what ai and machine learning can do um there's there's always going to be a need for it and uh, you know that's something that's not gonna not gonna change absolutely it's going to sort of further further uh, exacerbate i guess as time goes on so um but yeah well um well, James, it's been absolutely uh, fantastic speaking to you a real pleasure and yeah. really really enjoyed the chat a lot of uh, very interesting food for thought there so uh, yeah just I guess nothing else remains but for me to say thank you for, for coming on and being a guest really really appreciate it and um, I uh, look forward to following your progress intently as um, as time goes on with whatever yeah. endeavors you, right. you get involved with in the future. <laughs> no, it's been an absolute pleasure I think you know just a really great fascinating conversation you know if it's uh, I think these are important topics. I think you know they, they need a lot of of airtime, right? But it's been uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. No worries at all. We'll speak again soon. Thanks very much. Cheers, guys. Bye for now.